You're listening to the Third Cup of Coffee podcast. All to say, today, Pentecost Sunday, and we're going to close our series called The Promised Experience. And if you want sermon notes, we'll throw up a QR code. You can point your camera at that. All the notes will come up to that. I was uh, sitting in my bed last night going through my notes for the final time. As much as it might seem like that, I do not write those sermons on Sunday, on Saturday night. Those are all done earlier. But it was Saturday night. I do go through them, and I, frankly, I just mark a bunch of stuff out so it's not longer than it needs to be. So I'm doing that, and Scout comes to me, or comes to his mom, and says, uh, I'd like to preach tomorrow. And we said, oh, okay, you think, you know, you have something? Yeah, yeah. So he went and talked to his sisters, got some ideas. And, and so, you know, when your seven-year-old wants to preach, particularly on Pentecost Sunday, when it's all about pouring out on sons and daughters and maidservants and everybody, what do you do? You say yes. Right, Scout? So he's been pretty excited. Come on up here, buddy. He wanted to share just a bit. So uh, totally unrehearsed and with uh, not a lot of prep and a great deal of preparation or, uh, uh, heart palpitations from his father because I do know him. Uh, he, he's ready to do this. All right. You wanna, what do you want to share about? So first... My mom inspired me to do this because she asked Zoe, and then Zoe said she'd rather teach the kids, and I said, I would really want to teach, so here's what I got. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like a blowing like a violent wind filled the whole house where they were staying, sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that, su that surprised and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in others' tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in okay, blah. Then because each one of them heard their own language. Got anything else you want to share about that? No, I don't. Okay. That was it. Thank you, buddy. Well done. Well done. All right. And shorter than dad, which will undoubtedly be popular. You stick to that. All right, Pentecost Sunday, as he said, and it is the last week of our series as we talk about the promised experience. If I can find my own notes. I have a few more notes than he did because I don't remember things well. This series has been important to us because the Holy Spirit has the power to bring great vitality and longevity to our community in a way that nothing else can. We can build a crowd by doing some things. We can build a gathering. We're not interested in a crowd or a gathering, although I, I want people, because I want people to hear this and understand this, but what I really want is the presence of the Holy Spirit. Because when we get that, nothing will stop the expansion of what he wants to do. It just goes everywhere. And this series has been meant to get you to thinking about and praying about 
engaging with the Holy Spirit, not just on a Sunday morning, not just when the worship service is good, and, and it is good, and we do engage. And, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for our times of corporate worship, and we encounter the Holy Spirit. Rachel leads us well. I don't know if you knew this. <laughs> this is awkward. How do you, yeah, how do, you, do I clap for myself? Some of you don't know this. Rachel leads a 10 o'clock Saturday night two-hour prayer set at IHOP. Leads till midnight, goes home, I assume sleeps somewhere, and comes here and leads us. And so we enjoy encountering the Lord that way, but my prayer is that not only do we encounter the Holy Spirit in that setting, but that we encounter the Holy Spirit at 10 a.m. on a Tuesday on Metcalf. Okay? Which actually is a good argument that you may need the Holy Spirit more on Metcalf than you do on Sunday morning. But... This idea that it is a daily walk with him and we encounter him. That he is not an option that is too expensive to pursue. But that we say, no, no, we want that more than anything. The pursuit of the Holy Spirit in your everyday life is costly. Because when he comes, he reminds you of things that he is uncomfortable with, that you were comfortable with before he got there. So it costs you things, but it's so worth it. The Apostle Paul had significant energy on a couple of things. Some of you have heard me share this before. There are just a couple of things the, Holy Spirit, or the, the Apostle Paul had real energy on. So much energy on it that when he talked about it, the ESV that I preach out of a lot of times says uh, it doesn't want you to be uninformed. But other versions, Paul actually says, I don't want you to be ignorant. He said, don't, don't be ignorant about these things. And the things he doesn't want us to be ignorant about not to be ignorant about God's plan for Israel. Romans 11.25. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part to the full number of Gentiles that has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. So he said, don't be ignorant of what I have to do with Israel. He also tells them not to be ignorant about the second coming. The single biggest question of life, once you get out of probably your 30s, is where is this going? Okay? Like, not like what's going to happen this fall, but how, how does life end? Where does, where does it go from here? What, what happens next? What happens at the end of the age? 1 Thessalonians 4.13, he says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be, again, the ESV says, uninformed. Other versions says, don't be ignorant about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. He's preaching there about the resurrection. Jesus himself, who told us we wouldn't know the day or the hour, still gave us a lot of information about the end of the age. And he says, hey, guys, pay attention to this. Don't be ignorant. Finally, he tells us, don't be ignorant about spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, 1, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed or ignorant. So he has history with humanity and a plan for Israel. He said, don't be ignorant about that. He's got a plan for the end of the age. He said, don't be ignorant about that. And in the middle, he's got a plan to give us spiritual power. And he goes, guys, you got to know how this works. It could make your life so much more impactful than it is. If you miss these things, Israel the end times, and the idea of spiritual gifts, you miss the past, you miss the future, and you miss the best of the present. And the church wanders around, doesn't know where it's going, doesn't know where it came from, doesn't know what to do in the meantime. He's like, these are the things I told you not to be ignorant of. 
Last week, we talked about three sections of Scripture that outline spiritual gifts. We talked about Romans in chapter 12, and then in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there are, are two different sections. And those lay out these different gifts. Before we dive into that section in 1 Corinthians 12, let me just give you a couple of points of interpretation that help you think about how spiritual gifts function and what we need to know about them. One of them is God is in pursuit of every person and he will use what he will use in trying to reach them. There's a variety of gifts, and there's a variety of needs, and God has a way of matching up the needs and giving people the right gifts at the right time. You know what reached you, okay? You know what it was at the right time that just clicked and suddenly, oh, that all made sense in a way it didn't make sense, or it was believable in a way it wasn't. That was the Holy Spirit moving through someone else. These lists that we look at in Romans and in 1 Corinthians, if you put them together, they don't even match up. Like, there are some that are on this list, and some that are on this list, and some that are on both. What is the point of them not matching up? I think it's to illustrate the fact that God has an arsenal of gifts that may even exceed what we see listed here. He can use people in the most unique ways, and he will use whatever it takes to reach people wherever they are. Second thing we need to keep in mind as we talk about spiritual gifts, so this is new to you, is that spiritual gifts are not just for the experts. We have put people on a pedestal, and we think they can teach about spiritual gifts, they can uh, operate in the gifts, they can do that, and only one person can do this. You know, I, I remember hearing about somebody one time who was in a service, and uh, someone delivered a message in tongues in the service. And someone else stood up to interpret it. And the pastor sat them down because somebody else was the designated interpreter. What? That's not how it works. Okay? There are no experts. I actually think being an expert in spiritual gifts is a weird thing. Like, is there a certification for that? Like, certified gift receiver number four. Like, what, what's the diploma look like for that? He indicated that there were gifts for all of us. 1 Corinthians 14, 5 said, I want you all. The point of this isn't even tongues or prophecy, really. The point is all. I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more, I want you to prophesy. Listen how broadly Paul talks about a move of the Holy Spirit within the body of Christ from 1 Corinthians 12 here. Okay, and that's where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 6 said, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and every one. He said, God's going to move a lot of different ways on a lot of different people. The key word he uses over and over and over again is variety. He actually seems to break it down into different facets. He said, there are gifts. And he goes on to list these gifts. We'll talk about some of these in a moment. These are things that people are supernaturally empowered to operate in at a level they could not in their own natural being. Some of these gifts might seem a little exotic or maybe even a little strange if you've never been around them. Some of them seem a little boring. The gift of administration. What's spiritual about the gift of administration? Are you kidding? Administration is government government is spiritual there are people that operate in the anointing of a clipboard man and they will keep your bus on track and you want them as much as you want the person giving the message in tongues because when they do that empowered by the holy spirit that is a gift and it is to be equally valued 
There are gifts. He also talks about service. These are ministries, all right? This is kind of what's talked about in um, Ephesians 4.11 that I keep alluding to but never actually unpacking about prophets and evangelists and teachers. They're offices. There are roles people play that that is their act of service. Some of you have invitations into roles to play in the body that are, are God-ordained, and you do them, and you function in them very well. So there are gifts, there are services, and then there are activities. The Greek word that is used there when he talks about activities is energy. These are things you put your energy to. Some things you do because you're gifted. Some things you do because it's the role that you play. Some things, grown-ups, you do just because somebody's got to do it. And you put your energy to that, and it is activity, but it is activity unto the Lord, and the Holy Spirit empowers that. When we're done here this morning, you will see a bunch of people operate in activities that are not necessarily their gifting or their job. But it's the only way we get out of here. So people will wrap up cords. People will vacuum. doesn't mean it's their spiritual gift of vacuuming. <laughs> Who wants that, you know? But they're mature enough to know, I want to put my activity or my energy towards this. The crazy thing is, that is as pleasing to the Lord as the person who does the public message in tongues. He's like, no, the fact that you're putting your activity and your energy towards this, I am pleased. Get this, you can please the Lord powerfully before you leave this place today. Just by putting your energy to what he's calling you to do. So, before we talk about these two reasons, or Two things that the gifts are for. Because that's the great debate all the time. What are these for? What, why would he, you know, one of those semi-legitimate concerns you hear from people that struggle with gifts of the Spirit is, what are they used for? Great, somebody had a word of knowledge about somebody that, you know, was pointless. But what, 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 are, the, what are the point of the gifts? The point of the gifts are twofold, okay? They are to magnify Christ and to build up his bride. Those are the two things that they are for. They magnify Christ, John 15, 26, when the Helper comes, he's talking about sending the Holy Spirit, I will, uh, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit falls upon you, he will bear witness. He will make, he will make your picture of Jesus clearer. When the gifts are in operation, Jesus should be more obvious, not less. You should understand him better. When someone operates in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, you should go, okay, I, I have a little better picture of who Jesus is now. The second part is to build up the body. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, to each is given, we've talked about this every week, to each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And he focuses on the diversity of gifts and roles and activities, but all of them reflect Jesus and build up the body. The person who gives the prophetic word and the person who peels the potatoes get the same reward and in many times have the same effect on building up the body. He says this so we don't get unduly impressed with some of the more demonstrative gifts because what is really more important is faithfulness. The spectrum of how the Holy Spirit moves in our lives and gives us strength stretches from the miraculous, you know, from, from Jerry praying for somebody and seeing them healed to the very mundane of vacuuming this room of all donut crumbs as we go out the door. And he says, the Lord can, be, can use you in all of these. 
Why does he make this point? To illustrate whether you are overwhelmed with his presence or you're just doing what needs to be done, he is present and active in your life. One of the most encouraging songs that we sing, and you can tell, you know, Rachel, you know, there's, there are some songs that you sing and it's like pouring water in a dry sponge. People are like, I want that one. One of the most encouraging songs we sing, and I've seen it over and over again, is even when I don't see it, you're moving. Okay, even if I don't feel it, you're moving. That's true. I mean, that's true. And when you buy into that idea, you begin to see the Holy Spirit moving in ways you didn't anticipate him before. So what we're talking about is not just the presence of the Spirit. He's, he's present. He's in you. He is with you. He is per pervasive. What we're talking about are the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit. So understanding that those are to glorify God and to build up the body, let's look at 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 7. And again... This really is just a 101 talking about some of these. You could go weeks on each one of these. Uh, but I would hope that the person that comes out of this series would say, I'm hungry for this because the Lord honors hunger. And if you just say yes to the want to, he visits you. 1 Corinthians reads 7 through 11 to start out. For to, to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by one spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. You read through this gifts of the spirit list and you go, okay, some of these are, are the, yeah, that's not that odd or that's a little weird. Some of these you're like, that's really weird. That's, that's bizarre. I don't know how that works. This man named Barb, Barb, sorry, Bob, Bob Arbogast. Bob Arbogast. 1951, Bob was a radio writer in Kansas City. He wrote radio dramas and different sketches and that sort of thing. He went on to work for uh, Sesame Street and the Muppets doing voiceovers. And while he was in Kansas City, his claim to fame was he invented a character called the Answer Man. The Answer Man evolved, and 15 years later, the Answer Man popped up in a different character on Johnny Carson called Karnak the Magnificent. How many of you remember Karnak? Uh, we're dating some, everybody under 40. He's like, what? Who's Johnny Carson? No, okay. Years ago, when dinosaurs roamed the earth, Johnny Carson was on every night. And the Midwest was awesome because he was on at 1030 and you could stay up and watch it. And Johnny Carson had this ongoing gag where he would come out as Karnak the Magnificent and he would hold an envelope to his forehead and he would predict the answer to the question that was in the sealed envelope. Okay? It was not real. It was all a gag. But it would be like uh, he would hold an envelope to his forehead and he would say, jelly-filled, plain, and chocolate covered. And then they'd open the envelope and it would be, you know, top three reasons why people attend the bridge anyway. You know, that would be, that would be the gag for Karnak the Great. That's how it worked. I should not have to say this, but the gifts of wisdom and knowledge are not like Karnak the Great or Karnak the Magnificent. They're not that weird. They're not that over the top. They're different. We'll talk about that in a minute, but they're not parlor tricks, okay? They're not just interesting, they're actually very useful. Someone with a gift of wisdom knows how to apply 
knowledge, or truth. Have you ever done the right thing at the wrong time? Like, I was right, but that didn't go the way I thought it was going to go, right? You needed someone with the gift of wisdom. You weren't wrong in the technical sense, but you were wrong in the tactical sense. Yes, you do need to establish boundaries for your children. But because your 12-year-old used a wrong word does not mean you were okay in throwing all of their belongings out a second-story window and telling them you have no place to live, okay? I mean, you, you might have been right at being frustrated with them, but it's, it's not wisdom to walk that out that way. The nature of the wisdom gift makes it almost seem like a demeanor more than a manifestation because when people operate in wisdom it tends to display itself across a broad spectrum of things. It often does not look flashy. It often gets overlooked. But it's that person that you go back to over and over again and you ask their opinion about almost everything under the sun. Not because they know everything, but because the Lord gives them wisdom. The Holy Spirit is speaking through them. I have a handful of people in my life that I would ask about just about anything. Not because I think they know everything, but because historically I've seen the Lord give them wisdom. And I go, well, I've got the knowledge, but I don't know what the timing is. So maybe they can help me interpret that. Wisdom helps the body of Christ operate at times when we might know what to do, but we don't know when to do it. Or to avoid conflicts that we might have avoided had we just had a little bit of wisdom. So if that's wisdom, what is a word of knowledge and how is that different? A word of knowledge is a fact revealed by God for his purposes of exalting himself or building up the church. It's when heaven's intellect invades earth for a moment and suddenly somebody knows something and they don't really have any understanding about how they know it, but they know it. And these two gifts that seem so unusual to us, this gifts of wisdom and gifts of knowledge, were so important to the Apostle Paul that he baked into his prayer life the idea that you would have gifts of wisdom and words of knowledge. Like this was a part of his prayer life. Ephesians 1, 16 and 17, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and a spirit of revelation in the knowledge of him. He said, I want you guys, you guys need this. He's looking at the first century church and he goes, you need wisdom. You're navigating COVID, you need wisdom. You need knowledge. All of the rules from two years ago, yeah, we jacked those all up. All the rules are different. You need knowledge. So from the beginning, baked into his prayer life was this idea that we would have wisdom and knowledge. Said, well, what's it like to receive a word of knowledge? You know, does God really give people information? Does he do that? There's actually a biblical precedent. We see this happen in the Bible at different times. First of all, you have to understand, can we agree that God knows things we don't? Okay, I was afraid I was going to have to make a compelling argument for that, but thank you. You just saved me 30 minutes. Okay, so we all know that he, can, he knows things we don't. So the second question is, does he speak to us? And if he does, does he share that with us? Biblically, yes, he does. Matthew 16, 13 to 17, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do you say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say, they never really answered. 
Who do you say, you know, who do they, so he's like, well, some say this, some say this, I don't know. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus looks at him and says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Jesus says, good one, Simon Peter. You got it. And not only did you get it because you figured it out, you get it because my Father told you. He said, you have received knowledge from heaven in this moment because the unspoken, let's be honest, Peter, you're not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Discretion, not really your thing. You know, calm and peace, not really your deal. Peter, if you lived in our house, you'd be in restriction a lot because he'd say things you shouldn't say. But in this case, the Lord drops it into Peter. Peter goes, oh, you're the son of the living. You got it. The Lord showed you that. God knows things, and he shares things with us. Throughout the New Testament, we see the pictures of the Holy Spirit revealing information. And it wasn't some weird Christian fortune-telling or Karnak the Great. It wasn't any of that. It was information necessary for the expansion of the gospel, for the glorification of Jesus, and for the building up of the church. Once in the book of Acts, people are generously giving, okay? Like they're selling houses and cars and boats, and they're selling and bringing the funds. And it's important to understand for the story, this wasn't even required. Because not everybody in the New Testament did it. There are people in the New Testament kept their homes. So this is not an argument for communism. This is a, a display of radical generosity. And people are doing this, except a couple decides to say that they have given all their money from the sale of a house, but they didn't. Now, here's the crazy thing. They didn't have to, okay? Like, they didn't have to give all the money from the house, but they came in and they said, we gave all the money from the house. The problem was lying. The problem wasn't a lack of, of generosity. And in that setting, the Lord reveals, again, to Peter. <laughs> Peter's like up to bat again, knocks it out of the park. He's, Peter says in Acts 5.3, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? He tells him something he could not have possibly known any other way. Ananias drops dead. It doesn't just happen once. Ten minutes later, his wife comes in and the Lord reveals something to him, to, to Simon Peter again about his wife. Verse 9, Peter said to her, how is it that you agreed? Because at this point, you know, plausible deniability. She walks in, you know, sees the indentation where her husband, and the drag marks. She's like, that didn't go well. Has anyone seen my husband? I think he might have sold the house, and I don't know how much for. You know, she had some outs here. And Peter goes, no, no, no. You agreed to test the spirit of the Lord. He receives a bit of knowledge from God. That's how that works. Some of you are very nervous. Can you give us an example where nobody dies? Yeah, I can now, somebody doesn't always die when somebody gets a word of knowledge. A personal one, actually. I was leading a service one time, and I'm ready to close the service. And, like, I'm, I'm standing in the back. It's all but done. You know, the, the people that are trying to beat the Baptist to the, to the food bar are already gone. And uh, as we're, we're winding it down, I sense the Lord, and I've, it never happened to me before up until that point, but I received a word from the Lord. He said, there's a there's somebody here whose son is estranged from them and they are going to reach out and contact them and you need to address this. Like, I don't even, I don't know who I'm talking about. It's like, you know, I'm not going to call somebody out. I basically shared what I just said. Someone here, 
has a son you've been estranged with, and the Lord says, as a, as a marker for your faith, your son is going to reconnect with you, and it is going to be your marker to pray for him. Reconciliation is coming. End of the service. Like, what do you do with that, you know? Amen, everybody to the food bar. And that was it. But by Tuesday, I got a phone call. And a guy said, when you started talking, I said, oh, God, could this be me? Because I haven't talked to my son in a year. And he said, I went home Sunday afternoon, and my son called. And he goes, we're not reconciled, it's not done, but this has spurred me to pray. And I'm praying for my son, and I'm believing for my son in a way that I did not believe before. The gifts of the Spirit are for the building up of the church, for spurring people to do what they need to do. Now, generally speaking, when someone receives a word from, of knowledge, the knowledge is not actually the point. The point is what it spurs them to do. Peter says, you are the Messiah. Yes, okay, what comes next? Peter tells Ananias, you lied to God. Okay, what comes next? It's always interesting to me who protests the idea of words of wisdom and words of knowledge. Even though Paul prays that we would have this gift, there are people that are very suspicious of it. They don't even want what Paul prayed for. I was reading the work uh, of a cessationist this week who would say there are no more gifts. And even as he's arguing against the existence of words of wisdom and words of knowledge, he warns people to be really careful because, you know, the devil has knowledge too. So you don't think that the Lord will share knowledge, but we need to be on guard in case the devil tells us something. The guy has more faith for the, you know, gifts of the enemy than he does the gifts of the Spirit. Let me just add this to this idea of words of wisdom and knowledge. Because of the spectacular um, nature of these gifts. Because it is, it is a little strange to have someone tell you something they could not possibly know. It gets your attention. Particularly when it's in a, in a public setting. Because of that, people who operate in these gifts actually need to watch themselves very carefully. Late 1600s. There was a minister who was labeled a nonconformist. What that meant was he was unhappy with uh, the organization of the structured church and how it related to the king of England. I kind of like the idea of being called a nonconformist. Maybe that's what I'm shooting for. I don't know. He was also a very intentional speaker. In an age when most people didn't understand anything that went on in their church services, he one time told those that he was mentoring, Choose for your pulpit subjects the plainest and most needy truths and endeavor to make them plainer. He said, when you're preaching, take the simple stuff, make it simpler. It'll work a lot better for you. His name was Matthew Henry. Wrote a huge commentary. All of your old pastors had, you know, Matthew Henry commentaries like this. Now they're all on our iPads. We still read them. But he said this about those who operate in the gifts of the Spirit. The greater the gifts are the more the possessor is exposed to temptations and the larger is the measure of grace needed to keep him humble and spiritual. He said, if you operate in these gifts, you stay close to the Lord, buddy, because there is a temptation to think that these are about you and they are so not about you. They are about glorifying Jesus and building up the church. So, next few verses of 1 Corinthians 9 and 10 go beyond wisdom and revelation. It says, to another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by one Spirit. To another, working of miracles. To another, prophecy. 
to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. I'm not going to talk about all of them today. We'll talk about it just a couple of more. First of all, the gift of faith. Faith is a gift. Faith is a gift. However, everyone has some measure of faith. Everyone can muster up faith for salvation because honestly, the Bible says it doesn't take a whole lot. Just that weak yes is good for salvation. You can have that, but there is also a faith within you that can expand and grow. Some of you came to the Lord with a weak yes, and this was the prayer that you prayed. Well, God, here I am. Like, that was it. And that was enough for him to take you and, and, and meld you and work with you. But then you grow in faith, and some of that growth actually involves discipline. Jude 1.20 says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, there is an aspect of growing in maturity where you stretch yourself and you grow in faith. So there is faith for salvation, which is like a mustard seed. It's nothing. Just a yes, Lord. He'll take that. He'll work with it. Then there is an element of faith that you build yourself up in and you grow in because you discipline yourselves. And then there is also a spiritual gift, specifically of faith. I like to say that those with the gift of faith make those with normal faith a little nervous. Because they believe for things that the rest of us cannot see. Normal people pray, Lord, if it's your will, it's not too much trouble. If you're not done teaching me what you were teaching me in this season of affliction, that you might bring me out. That's how normal people pray. People with the gift of faith are like, be healed in Jesus' name. But when you are sick, which of those two people do you want praying for you? They're calling now. I'm used to instant feedback, but wow, that's remarkable. Don't you, love, don't you love when you're in a crowd and a phone rings and people act like it's not theirs? Okay, so I don't even know whose that was, but you're quick, man. Shut it off right away. That was awesome. But no, no, you want that person with a gift of faith that prays a little bit dangerous prayers to be praying for your sick child. Don't give me this, Lord, if it's your will, if you haven't taught me everything you want to teach. No, no, there's a room for that. Do those prayers on your own. Give me the person that is going to pull heaven down with irrational faith for a God that can do what is really irrational. We are concerned when people trust God to a level that we are hesitant to trust God to. Like, they challenge us. Doesn't make them more godly, but they've got a gift of faith. For the Lord actually to move here at the bridge in the way that we are believing for, in the, all that is in his heart, some of us are going to have to encounter a supernatural gift of faith. And it doesn't have to be all of us. It's a couple, four or five crazy faith-filled people can make a big difference for the Lord to give us a peek behind the curtain and to see all that he has for us. In most people's faith, as sincere as it is, there is some level of compromise as they want to give themselves a little wiggle room and give God a little wiggle room so they don't have to deal with such disappointment if it doesn't come through. And the Lord's not angry at that. Some of you are like, that's where I'm at. I'm praying those prayers of, 
Lord, if it's not too much trouble. That's where I'm at right now. The Lord honestly has grace for that. He loves your yes to him, even in that season. Mark 9, a father comes to Jesus about his demon-possessed child. And he says, you know, if you can do anything, have compassion on us. Like, Lord, eh? can you do anything here? Guy does not have the gift of faith. And Jesus kind of like teases him. If? What do you mean if? Are you saying if? And Mark 9, 24 is the most, one of the most powerful passages. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and says, I believe. Help my unbelief. It's like, I'd say, yes, you ever pray these prayers? The Lord loves that, okay? But he also gives a gift of faith that is supernatural. The thing that I am asking God for on my behalf and on yours is that we would pray prayers that offer Jesus no wiggle room. Not that we strong arm him, just that we believe him fully. We say yes to what he has promised. The gift of faith. He also talks about gifts of healing. Also talks about the working of miracles. We'll kind of talk to you about these together. All I'm going to really mention about this is that he seems to go out of his way to say gifts of healing rather than the gift of healing. Some of you are like, so? Like, what's the difference there? Because gifts of healing seem to indicate that it is him doing the healing through different people at different times as opposed to him handing somebody a healing card and say, hey, go have at it. We have misinterpreted this to think someone has, oh, they've got the gift of healing. Well, line up and get your credit card ready because that's where that goes. Every time I see someone referred to as a faith healer, I kind of cringe because I know that's not exactly how the gift operates. And many people who the Lord has used in great healing ministries know that that is not how the Lord operates. Because they understand spiritual gifts. Uh, prime example. Like him, not like him, don't much care. Just making a point. Oral Roberts. Oral Roberts was used in ministry and many people were healed by the Lord as he prayed for him. Oral Roberts would have never said, I have the gift of healing. He didn't talk that way. If you go back and read some of his stuff and watch him, Oral Roberts, especially in the early days, was really downplayed a lot of the, the big manifestations of the Spirit. We joined the Methodist Church in the middle of, his, in, the, in the epicenter of his ministry as it was because he wanted to affiliate with uh, what would have been considered more mainstream, non um, non-charismatic, non-spectacular, non-hype ministry. Like he didn't want, he's saying, no, no, no. I, the Lord, he was very clear about that. What's the takeaway? Quit thinking of praying for healing like it's some person-centered, large meeting thing. He gives that gift to different people at different times and the Lord uses them. He gives that gift to Jerry, who's at the doctor, to pray for somebody else for healing. If that doesn't show you that the healer is Jesus and not an individual, if it was an individual, Jerry could have gone, let's get myself out of the doctor. But he rested on Jerry and healed someone else. The gift is gifts of healing in different places. It's not a super dramatic thing. It is that he works in this way. Now, you say, have you ever seen it? Yeah, I have. You know, way back, I started to, to jot down notes about the story, and I realized this story is so old that we had one child. OK? 
Okay, so like Eisenhower was president way back. And I had the worst case of pneumonia. Now, granted, I'm a man, so it's hard to tell how bad it really was, but I thought I was going to die, okay? It was, I was in such insane pain. And, uh, of course, Kelsey went away for the weekend. No, I mean, she's, you're not going to die. Uh, but but she, she came home, and she's expecting to find me either alive or dead, and I was. And uh, the people she spent the weekend with, who were really people I, I didn't know, called and said, hey, can we pray for him? And I go into the kitchen. It was back before cell phones. You had to actually go to where the phone was. You see how old this was. Phone was in the kitchen. I go, and I stand there. And I, so you have pneumonia. I couldn't hardly talk. It was so bad. They said, uh, well, lay hands on yourself. I'm like, I don't even know how this works. Okay, I lay hands on myself. They pray for me instantly. <gasps> I could breathe. Like, it wasn't like, I think I feel a little better in faith. No, man, it was like, bam, I was healed. In a moment, he still does it. He goes on in this passage, mentions the gift of prophecy. We talked about that last week, and... Uh, Remember, these lists are overlapping, so I'm not going to really go back and revisit that. I'm not going to dive into tongues and interpretation as well. That's a, a completely different subject that I'd love to talk about, but just for the sake of getting through this. He talks about the idea of discernment or the uh, determination of spirits. We tend to gloss over the idea of discernment and just kind of lump it in with wisdom, okay? Because as much as we say we are aware of the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of darkness, we don't think that much about it. We really don't. There are two parallel realities, and you live in both of them at the same time. One of them is temporal. It is the realm of jobs and yard work and indigestion and taxes and birthday cake, all of those things, you know, that take up so much of your time. It's the temporal world. All of them will one day pass away. So there's the temporal world, and then there is the eternal world that you are as much a part of as you are the chair that you're sitting on right now. They're both real. But the, the eternal world is a little more complicated, okay? Because it involves forces for good and forces for evil. God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit, also Satan, demons. There are two sets of forces here in operation in that one world. And the gift of discernment is the ability to determine what is going on in that world while we live in this world. In the world of taxes and birthday cake and all the things you have to do to be able to determine what is going on in the spirit world and what spirit is that that is operating. Jesus told his disciples, there are sometimes you don't even know what spirit you are of. It's like you don't even know if that's the, what voice that is that's speaking to you. The gift of discernment is the ability to determine the working of spirits in the lives of others or in the lives of your own life. Let me give you a high-profile example and a more private example. And in both cases, I think you'll see why this is useful. In Acts 8, gospel is spreading far and wide. There are times the disciples go places. They find out there are already believers there because the, the gospel has outrun the leadership. And they were seeing people baptized in the Holy Spirit with power. And you're like, oh, it was revival. It was, this was... It wasn't even a revival. It was just vival. Like it was the first time it had ever happened, you know? It wasn't like getting back to the good old gospel. Like, what is this? This is the first time this has ever happened. And there was a guy in the meeting named Simon. And the Bible says that he had been a magician. And it actually goes out of his way to say he went around saying, 
that he himself was someone great. I think it's so interesting. Luke, we believe Luke wrote the book of Acts, and later he's like, I remember this clown. And he used to go around talking about how great he was, and he actually writes it into the story. He's like, you know, it's kind of incidental, but just so you know, completely full of himself, underlined three times. So he, we know there's this level of self-promotion in Simon's life. Maybe it's just the way magicians are. I don't know. They're handed out their card everywhere they go. But it seemed to stick in the mind of the author of Acts. The book says people paid attention to him, for they were amazed at his magic. A lot of people were saved in these meetings. A lot of people filled with the Holy Spirit. Simon himself believed, the Bible says. But apparently there were still spiritual forces at work in the mind of the magician, and he was conflicted. And at some point, the old self-promoting Simon kicks in. The old Simon that used to go around and tell everybody who great he was. There are old versions of you that reappear at times. There are old things that you used to do that they're still like latent. You know what I mean? You know what latency is? Like you make a move and you move the cursor and then two minutes later you're because your computer is old. There, you, are, you have latent tendencies. And sometimes like Simon, that old person back there comes up to the front. And this is what happens. And he asks, can I buy this gift because I have this magician gig going on? And this would be big at parties. Like, I could book a lot of gigs as a magician and really talk about myself if I had this gift. Peter commands him to repent, and by the gift of discernment, he calls out what is going on inside of this magician. Acts 8.23, he says, For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. He goes, yeah, I know he just responded to the altar call. And I believe there was a yes in your heart, but let me tell you what's going on internally. You are in the gall of bitterness. There is a root of bitterness in you, and it is twisting the way that you're even interpreting what the Holy Spirit is doing. And old Simon, who's always running around talking about how great he is, is beginning to see how this could be useful. And you're now manipulating the Holy Spirit to get what you want so you could be who you wanted to be back then. The gift of discernment allows you to determine the spirit people are operating in. And there are times that only by the Holy Spirit can you even tell. Have you ever had somebody enter your life and you thought, this person is a godsend? And later you went, this was not a godsend. This might have been a devil send. Because you could not discern the spirits they were operating with. Now, on a closer level, okay, and this is actually where I think the gift of discernment is the most useful. I'm going to ask Rachel if you want to just jump on a guitar and we'll close here. Not always discerning the spirits that other people are operating in, but discerning the spirit that you are operating in. Because we have the ability to be influenced and even operate under spirits of darkness without even really fully coming to terms with what we are doing. They're like, are you saying we're suddenly possessed? No, no, no. I'm just saying the things that motivate us are mixed. And it is easy to misinterpret our own motivations on why we are doing things. Great example. I'm not anti-social media at all. Actually, I like social media. I think it's, uh, it's very useful, particularly once you discover the mute button. Mute button is your friend, okay? Also, unfollow. If, uh, if there's somebody that makes you angry every day, unfollow that clown. Why are you, like, getting angry at your phone? Just hit the button. They go away. It's awesome. But 
We need a gift of discernment when we go to reply or post something. And I ask myself sometimes, why do I think this needs to be said? What's my motivation here? Am I adding anything to the conversation? Do I want to look clever? Do I want to make a snide comment but don't want to say it directly to the person? And I have found that when I ask those questions, oddly enough, the gift of discernment appears. And the Holy Spirit will actually respond and reveal sometimes what are my own hidden motivations. I am all for discerning of spirits in a variety of ways, but probably the most helpful way this gift operates is when we open the Holy Spirit, open our hearts to the Holy Spirit. Okay, help me discern what's going on internally. Because Lord, I don't want to say anything outside of your own guidance. And I certainly don't want to say anything under the guidance of the enemy. If you can discern the spirits you're operating from, do you understand how that brings glory to Jesus and builds up the church? It's an actual gift of the Spirit. Stand with me if you would. I want to pray specifically for two gifts for us this morning. And if there was something here that caught your ear and you go, oh, I want that, I want that, then you pray for that. But these two in particular. One, I want to pray for a display of the spiritual gift of faith within our body. I want faith to rise up and for some of you to get encouraged and get faith for something you did not have faith for before. We need it. We need people in our body with irrational faith for others and for miracles and for buildings and for, for it's like, Randy, why buildings? Because we want to gather during the week and to pray and be together and have fellowship and build his body. We want gifts of faith for that. We also want that gift of discernment. So we don't make a wrong step in our own speech or in listening to somebody else. I just ask you to bow your heads for a moment. Would you just join with me in prayer? Father, right now we ask that the gifts of the Spirit that Paul talked about in Romans and in 1 Corinthians would be in full operation in our body. Lord, that we would say yes to that gift of prophecy that you said that you deeply desire for us to have. That we would encourage one another and speak the truth of Jesus to one another. That you would be glorified and our church would be built up through the gift of prophecy. Through the gift of tongues and interpretation. And we ask that the gift of faith would fall on people right now. Lord, we ask for faith to pray for this little 10-year-old girl. For Emily and Danny's daughter who's struggling, Lord. Would you stir our faith that we would pray prayers that leave no wiggle room. Right now, would you give the gift of faith. We pray for the gift of discernment for the words of others and for our own words that we would speak in according to the spirit of Jesus. Lord, apart from you, we can do nothing. So would you come now and would you rest on us in power? Let heaven come. Let heaven come. Let heaven 
begin to ask him now for gifts in your life. Jesus, would you do this? Father, we want to move in accordance with your spirit. Father, we pray that faith would rise in the room right now. You would stir us in our hearts to believe for all that you've promised. up, even today, that we would find ourselves with an urge to pray for a need, for a strength in our core that says yes to what you have promised, and that we would stand in faith for others and for what you've promised us. For gifts of discernment, Lord, words of knowledge, we ask for the display of the Holy Spirit, not just in our services, Lord, but throughout the week as we move, as we have our being in you. Father, we pray you'd rest on our body and that you would see the full expression of all that you deserve in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great weekend.